Warning, due to the subject matter in today's film, Promising Young Woman, we're going to be diving into the topic of sexual assault and sexual misconduct. Listener discretion is advised. Also, as this is quite a recent film, spoiler warning. I bid you welcome. I want to play a game. Stay on the road. Keep clear to the moors. It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. Let them see what kind of a person I am. Why, she wouldn't even harm a fly. Hey folks, my name is Will. My name is Yaz. And welcome to the Monster Monday podcast. This is the weekly podcast where myself and Yaz talk about a horror film every single week. And Yaz, why do we talk about horror films? Because the monsters in film aren't as scary as the monsters in real life. And we apologise for those who might have felt a bit misled at the end of the last episode. We spun the wheel. It landed on In Fabric. And folks, that episode is coming. We're going to be talking about uh, In Fabric next week. However, we thought this would be a good opportunity to be a bit more topical than normal. Because, Yaz, guess what was announced this past week? Oh, I don't know, Well, Was it the Oscar nominations? It was the Oscar nominations. I didn't expect such a natural back and forth between two <laughs> podcast hosts. But yeah, we had the Academy Award nominations this year, and it's an interesting lineup because so many of the usual Oscar contenders had their films delayed because of current world events. So it's actually meaning that we're getting a bit more of a, an eclectic selection of films. But one of the big... Uh, one of the big winners so far, I say winners, it's more just the the field of nominees, I should say, at the 93rd Academy Awards, which are still going on and are going to be held next month in Los Angeles, uh, is Promising Young Woman. We've got the nominations for Best Director, Best Picture, Best Actress, Best Editing, and also Best Original Screenplay, with, of course, Carrie Mulligan and Emerald Fennell, who is the film's director, the latter of which is the director being the recipients of these awards should they win, which I think is a great showing. This is also the first time in Oscar history, in the 93 years of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, that we've got two women in the Best Director category. We've got Chloe Zhao for Nomadland, and of course Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman. We've also got Stephen Yun um, making a first as well, um, Mm -hmm. being the first Asian-American actor in the Best Actor category. I mean, it's crazy that it's taken this long to yeah. be representative, and it's still not that representative. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, but, you know, you take these victories where you can. Slow progress. It should always be better, but progress is being made as frustrating as it can be how slow it is. Riz Ahmed, of course, our boy Riz Ahmed, is the first uh, Muslim actor to be in the Best Actor category as well. He's a great actor. He, he's absolutely, he's superb. Uh, I remember seeing him in Four Lions, and look at him now. That's amazing, amazing stuff. Uh, Viola Davis getting her fourth nomination as, of course, uh, a woman of colour in the Best Actress category. And Carrie Mulligan, of course, making history as the first actress, the the first actress to have been nominated twice in films by female directors. Which is, is, of course, you're, you're kind of going a bit deeper into the rabbit hole of Oscar history. And let's, of course, not forget Chadwick Boseman for a posthumous nomination for his role in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which I'm going to try and check out. That sounds really good. We've got uh, horror alumni, of course, Daniel Kaluuya being nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Judas and the Black Messiah. We have Anthony Hopkins in The Father. We have uh, one of our favourites, Olivia Colman, also for The Father and Best Supporting Actress. 
and Glenn Close in the Hillbilly Elegy. She's also been nominated for a Razzie for that same role. <laughs> so you, you can't please anyone. It's an interesting lineup of nominations. Uh, the one I'm rooting for is Shaun the Sheep for Best Animated Feature. Come on, come on, our boy. Come on, our sheep. My Octopus Teacher, Best Documentary. That was a really good one that me and you have both watched. But we're going to be talking about Promising Young Woman because I don't think it strictly falls into horror. It is a thriller, though. Absolutely. And there is horrific scenes in this. And the subject matter is horrific. So I would say, technically, it's it's horror. Yeah, (laughs) it's, it's different perspectives, obviously. But you've got, for example fatal attraction that's considered by many people to be a horror film just because you don't have supernatural elements or a slasher or anything like that doesn't mean that you can't have crossover within the genres well these i would argue are probably way scarier than a normal horror film these things can happen in real life yeah and as we know the monsters in real life (laughs) (laughs) are worse what is the line? <laughs> the monsters in the film aren't as scary as the ones in real life. And I think it is... I'm sure it's a coincidence. I'm sure the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences aren't looking at what's happening in the UK at the moment for violence against women. But uh, I think this comes at a, a really interesting time in the zeitgeist, which makes me sound bloody pretentious. But, I, I, yeah, Promising Young Woman is a film I've had my eye on for a while. Since that first trailer dropped, which really did have a horror vibe, it had that really twisted version of Britney Spears' Toxic as the, as the underlying music of that trailer. This did feel like, like a, really, a really dark and edgy film, which it absolutely, it it absolutely paid off. So the story of Promising Young Woman doesn't start when the film entered development in 2018, 2019. It started way earlier. You've got 2014, where you've got Margot Robbie, fresh off the heels of The Wolf of Wall Street, making her one of the biggest breakout stars in the world at that time. She, she uses that clout to start a production company, Lucky Chap Entertainment, with her and some of her, her film colleagues. She starts making some films uh, from a, a more feminist perspective, and Emerald Fennell, who'd been acting in films and TV shows for several years, submits the script to the production company. Margot Robbie loves it, and they start developing the film together. We get Carrie Mulligan being confirmed with the cast, and you've got some great character actors like Alison Brie, Clancy Brown, Jennifer Coolidge. You've got Laverne Cox as well, Bo Burnham. And the whole project comes together, especially in the wake of 2017, 2018, the, the Me Too movement. Just further going into the element of topicality we've been watching the alan v farrow documentary on hbo that four-part story about basically one of the few people who might have made it out of the me too movement relatively unscathed we'll see how time goes uh, we'll see how that yeah pans out. um that man should be in jail mm. but um that's all i'm gonna say on this yeah don't sue me <laughs> yeah, re- re- retribution fingers crossed, should is, is long overdue for, for that individual. Someone whose films I'm not particularly attached to, but even if I were... I don't think I've ever even seen one of their films, to be honest. They yeah. don't really make the kind of films that I'm interested in, thankfully. Exactly. So. They make the type of films that, uh, minor spoilers for this film, Christopher Mintz-Plasse's character would absolutely love. If you've seen the film, you know what we're on about. 
But that's the story of Promising Young Woman. It was meant to be released early last year, but obviously current world events pushed it back, and it got a Christmas Day release in order to play in theatres so it could qualify for the Academy Awards this year. So, you know, if, if Christmas, you know, do they know it's Christmas time? Open your presents, gather around the tree, go to the cinema and watch Promising Young Woman. We have a saying at Monster Monday that the monsters in film aren't as scary as the monsters in real life. 118 women in the UK have been murdered by men in the past year. This week, a young woman walking home was kidnapped and murdered by a police officer. Whether it's the racist bullying by our press or the fact we can't walk home alone, women do not feel safe. Domestic violence has, ris has risen. In a patriarchal society, women will never be equal. We deal with sexual harassment in our everyday lives and we've adjusted to it being normal. Yes, we're a horror podcast, but we care. And besides, horror has always been political. Stay safe and look after yourselves. Timestamps in the description below, as usual, for spoilers and non-spoilers. We're going to try and tiptoe around spoilers as best we can for the first half, because, like I said up top, this is quite a relatively recent release. It's not like we're talking about, say, for example, Psycho, where everybody basically knows the twist. This is quite recent. So, let's dive into... Promising young woman. I was busy dreaming about boys, boys, boys. I was busy thinking about boys, busy thinking so the film follows Cassie Thomas, played by Carrie Mulligan. She's in her early 30s, and she's a medical school dropout living in Ohio. And the reason she dropped out is because something happened to one of her to one of her best friends, Nina, who was at school with her. Uh, basically, she was sexually assaulted, uh, causing her to drop out, and then she would later commit suicide. So, if you've seen the premise, if you've seen the trailer, this won't be a spoiler. It is basically the premise of the film. Cassie goes out every week, pretends to be drunk at a nightclub or at a bar and waits for some nice young man to take her home, take her back to their apartment, and basically teach them a lesson in not taking advantage of young girls and just not doing it, not basically being a, a predator, essentially. You think that maybe she's gonna be incredibly violent to them, she's gonna, she's gonna castrate them or something gory, but no, it is basically just trying to make a statement before she goes about her day working at a, a shitty little coffee shop with her best friend, played by Laverne Cox. Or, like, you say best friend, it's her boss, the closest thing to a friend she's got, because she's, she's isolated herself after what happened to Nina, and it's letting that, and that grief is enveloping every aspect of her life. I completely understand how she's got into this space, though, like... Mm. There needs to be some sort of proper help out there, and she just wants justice for her friend. Um, mm. We hear time and time again of many real cases where this is unfortunately what happens. Because, once again, important context for what happens in the film. While Nina was sexually assaulted and dropped out of school and committed suicide, the person who perpetrated it, the person who did it, is able to live their life normally, is getting married in the near future, is quite successful by all accounts, and there's been kind of no sense of justice, and Cassie is the one who is carrying this, carrying the guilt because she wishes that she was there to have saved her friend, 
Whereas even Nina's mum, who we meet later on in the film, while obviously is still grieving over what's happened, is she tells Cassie that she needs to let it go and move on. Cassie is the one who is taking the burden of everyone's grief on her own shoulders. Hey, Neil. Yeah. I said I need to go home. Holy shit. Whoa, 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 whoa. What is this? Are you some kind of psycho or something? Why'd you say that? I just thought that you were... Drunk? Yeah. Really drunk? Fuck. Yeah. Well, I'm not. But that's good, isn't it? I think you should leave. Oh. Now you want me to leave? No. I just... I'm really high. Like, I'm really fucking high right now. I don't know what I'm doing. I think you should go. But a second ago, you were determined for me to stay. You were pretty insistent, actually. I'm a nice guy. Are you? It's always the nice guys as well that I like this. Like, mm -hmm. um, like they always, oh, <laughs> pretending to be nice when mm -hmm. they're just as predatory. Is In fact, that's even worse. Yeah, the ones who pretend to be quote-unquote allies or the people good who guys. are good guys. Yeah. yeah. Because the film does a really good job at kind of weaponizing its casting. I'm far from the only person to have made this observation, but you've got people like Christopher Mintz-Plass who made their stamp on pop culture as McLovin from, was it Superbad? Yeah. Uh, so this, this really unassuming, meek guy. And here he's cast as this cocaine-loving drug addict who... Um, is trying to write his, his award-winning book or whatever, and is trying. To, he clearly loves the work of Woody Allen, I'd assume. Um, he's trying to talk about how much of a good guy he is while he's trying to uh, he's trying to sexually harass this intoxicated woman. Well, he's assaulting her. Yeah, but on the other hand, I, I want to very quickly address that. Obviously, not all men, etc. But this film isn't a man-hating film. You also have the the alternative casting of Clancy Brown, who plays Cassie's dad. And if you know Clancy Brown from anything, it's these stern, these really um, haggard characters, these proper authority figures who are really angry. Whereas in this film, he's a he's a cuddly teddy bear of a dad. He seems like a lovely <laughs> guy. So it of it not every man in this film is depicted as some sort of terror. It like the film has got far too much on its mind and is too nuanced in its depiction of this of this essentially this epidemic, this gendered epidemic that it's not going to fall for that kind of bad faith criticism. If that makes but sense. But this whole bullshit with not all men anyway. I'm sorry, if you were worried about that, then you are the problem. You, If you were not worried, like, you shouldn't take it personally. Mm -hmm. The fact is, no, it's not all men, but we don't know which men mm -hmm. it is. So that is the problem. And this film does a very good depiction of it could literally be anybody. Yeah. Because there are people in this you think, surely they can't be like that. But inevitably, you know they are like that. Yeah. I mean, my senses went off straight away. I don't know about you. I said to you, there's no way that person can be as nice as they're being. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Something is wrong there. Yeah. I, I, we've also got cast members as well making an appearance, um, such as Alfred Molina, who gets a couple of scenes. He's really good in this film. Um Adam Brody, Chris Lowell, yeah, a, re a really strong cast, and if you know these folks from anything, basically prepare to have your expectations upended. But let's also talk about Bo Burnham, who plays Ryan, who was a former classmate of Cassie's in med medical school. He now works uh, as a, pediat a pediatric doctor, for those of you who don't know, just a children's doctor. 
and he seems like a really lovely guy. He goes to the coffee shop, he asks Cassie, you know, what the hell are you doing in this dump? She takes offence and spits in his coffee. And oh, cause, gosh. Because yeah, he, he says, you know, I deserve that spit in my coffee, and then she does. And then he drinks it. And for those of you who listened to the episode before last about Don't Breathe, when I was expecting a massive reaction from Yaz for <laughs> that scene, him drinking the coffee got a bigger reaction from Yaz than that whole film did, which completely derailed me. So if you want to really send a shiver up Yaz's spine, drink someone else's saliva from a cup of coffee. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was... Oh, mm. that was gross. But it's a fun first impression, though. Um, Bo Burnham, someone I don't know his work because I kind of avoid that vlogger scene of of online stuff. He was a YouTuber. He was a he was a viner, whatever the heck that is. Uh, but he also is a writer and director. He did eighth um, eighth grade a few years ago, which is a film I really want to see. I've heard it's terrific, but I've not seen it yet. But yeah, and what happens is that this nice guy who Cassie is a bit you know, wary of. She's kind of, not necessarily because of what he's doing, but she's very uh, hesitant to to lower her defences with this well, guy. Well, I think you'll find a lot of women are like that. We're very yeah. cautious. We're brought up from a very, very young age. We've got to be cautious. We've got to have our own back, you know. Mm-hmm. We're taught, instead of, girls are taught to keep themselves safe instead of educating boys Mm. not to be um not to be predators yeah it's something that i'm i'm hopeful will start changing yeah but like you just like everyday life as a woman like you can't go out from my experience um I started getting sexually harassed by strange men on the street from the age of 14 Mm. and it's continued whenever I'm on my own it's continued and we have like a set checklist to go through to keep us safe like we go to the toilets together like girls go to the toilets together Mm -hmm. it's to keep each other safe if we text each other text me when you're home safe you Mm -hmm. know we take photos of taxi registration plates we carry keys in our hands to you know as a defense mechanism Mm -hmm. there's all sorts of things that we prep for which is probably part of the guilt that is on her friend yeah because we always make sure each other are okay because that is the way we have to look out for each other Mm -hmm. because nobody's going to keep us safe the police aren't going to keep us safe evidently yeah like you know people don't report rape because it's one word against another in the legal sense and it is just wrong and this film very much focuses on how awful that is mm. i think it plays but in a clever way yeah. like it's not it it's teaching you a lesson without necessarily lecturing you if that makes sense yeah well it's also you know as roger ebert said films are machines for generating empathy and i think cassie as a film protagonist is a really interesting one in like the moral questions that she asks of the audience in a sort of meta way she challenges members of the of the of the cast to look at things from a different perspective because early on in the film she's walking down the street after a 
drunken night out, and there's a bunch of builders on the other side of the road who start catcalling her, and she just glares at them. And it's kind of amazing how quickly their whole, oh, you look, you know, you're looking for a good time, oh, your hot stuff, how quickly that turns to, well, you're like, well, fuck you, what are you staring at us for? You know, fuck off, you, you whore. Like, not a direct quote, but that sentiment. Let's go Yes, because the power dynamic shifts from, you know, fun jokes, quote-unquote jokes, to now this is awkward and now I'm feeling guilty for my bad behaviour. And how quickly men will try and shift the moral goalposts to, 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 to try and make them come across as better in the situation or justify it to themselves. Um, I mean, good on her for standing there and staring at him because it is incredibly intimidating. Mm. Like, I one of my experiences I was walking through a very public shopping centre and this man was following me trying to touch me whispering lewd things in my ear making lewd suggestions at me and at one point he even blocked off my exit to get out mm. I was like moving in different directions to try and get and he started walking backwards in front of me so he was blocking my exit and there were people about, mm-hmm. and nobody does nothing. So for her to stand there yeah. and just stare them out is so brave. I mean, in the end, I just literally screamed like at this man to fuck off and that I didn't know him. I thought if I made it known that I don't know this man that is harassing me and sexually harassing me, then hopefully somebody, or he will stop it, or somebody will step in. I mean, no one stepped in. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he decided to stop in the end. He saw more people were coming through the doors, and he just laughed in my face and walked away. Yeah. It's, it's not something that this film specifically dives into, but I think it's just worth saying while we're on the subject. If you do see something like that, especially, you know, if you are a guy, um, you... you you know, intervening is an option as well. Like, like, for example, if you're if you're at a nightclub and you see a woman who's barely able to stand up and a guy trying to chat her up or something, like, you know, maybe do step in and be like, do you know this guy? And like, the worst case scenario, I think, is maybe a little bit of awkwardness. But what you could, like, the best case scenario is that you could save somebody from being abused at that night. If that, like, you can't, like, and if something happens to you like if you're in a shopping center in a public place you know you you can step in you know obviously look after yourself you know try and keep your distance from the perpetrator but you are able to step in you know we're all we all share the space and we should look out for each other if we can yeah i think the film does a really good depiction in the first case though of the knight in shining armor somebody is stepping in to help her mm-hmm. yeah yeah because yeah it's the first scene it's the first quote-unquote victim who sees cassie just drunk on her own she's lost her phone she and he goes to get an uber or a lift or whatever a phone app taxi service basically and goes to drop her off home 
before changing his mind in the car and saying, do you want to come back to my place? And he kisses her on the lips when he brings her back to his apartment. She gives him nothing back and he tries to, you know, he, he tries to have his way with her. However, this is in the trailer. She looks directly into the camera while laying down from the bed. It's a, it's a fourth wall break that shook me and then just asks, what are you doing? And then the whole dynamic, the whole power dynamic changes in that moment. And they they look at each other straight down the barrel through the lens. And it's basically a film that dares you to look. It, it dares you to, to confront what it's wanting to talk about. And what it's going to talk about and what it's going to use through metaphor and through these characters isn't going to be easy for many people to listen to. But I think it rewards you if you do. It surprises me that it shook you, like... Well, I I don't expect fourth wall breaks. And it's also in that scenario where she's just laying on the bed about to be... Because, you know, this is the first time. You don't know if she's actually intoxicated or whatever. And then she just glares at the camera. And it's like, ooh. And and Carrie Mulligan's amazing as well. Oh, yeah, she's incredible, isn't it? It's an incredible performance. the, The worst thing is that this guy... His, his friends are talking derogatory about her, mm. and he acts as the white knight. Yeah. Yeah, he acts as, like, the gentleman to his friends uh, before, once he's isolated from his friendship group and alone in that taxi with her, starts taking advantage of her inebriated state. Or so we think. Or so we think, yes, because Cassie has been around the block a few times, as we see from her little notebook, which is filled with you know, um, crosses and lines, a a tally of the men who she's done this to. Because, you know, we only see a handful of examples about it in this film, but we're sure that there's plenty of men out there. We'll delve more into the specifics of this in the spoiler section, but what Cassie starts doing is that once she learns that the person who assaulted her friend Nina is back in town and is getting married and is living his life normally as if nothing had happened. She starts to set up a few plans into motion. She uses social media, she uses she's an incredibly like smart person. She's a she's a medical school dropout, but she's not she didn't drop out because of a lack of ability or like because of everything that happened to her. She's an incredibly smart and world weary work like well travelled person. She knows what she's doing. And she starts setting a plan into motion to what's essentially a a kind of subversive like rape revenge plot well at least that's what it appears to be at first where she starts meeting up with people who were at medical school with her one of whom played by Alison Brie and starts confronting them on what happened like how many of you knew what happened how many of you didn't step up how many of you didn't protect her and starts putting them in very difficult and compromising situations. It's it's almost like a psychological saw trap, basically. She is jigsaw here, <laughs> and she's trying to figure out what they'll do when tested and, pu- and, and pushed. Yeah, how does it feel for them to be put in the same position that her friend was? You know, I actually wanted to meet you today to talk about something in particular. I did wonder. No one's heard from you in, like, forever. <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about why I dropped out. Okay, sure. You remember what happened, right? Oh, such a long time ago now. I know, but you remember. I mean, vaguely. Do you ever think about it? 
Why would I? Right. Why would you? So if a friend came to you now, came to your house and told you that they thought something bad had happened to them the night before. Cassie. Something bad. It was years ago. What would you say? It, uh, what would you say? Uh, ugh, I'm sorry. A little weird. Would you roll your eyes behind her back and dismiss the whole thing as drama? I don't know why you're mad at me. Okay, I, I'm not the only one who didn't believe it. If you have a reputation for sleeping around, then maybe people aren't gonna believe you when you say something's happened. I mean... So let's talk about uh, Carrie Mulligan, because there was a little bit of, I say, controversy, but it was just one guy. There was a review of, <laughs> of this film from um from variety magazine like variety is a one of the most well-esteemed and well-established hollywood publications it's like variety and the hollywood reporter those are the big ones and there was a review uh, it was a positive review of the film however he questioned the casting of carrie mulligan and this seems like maybe a bit of an oversim oversimplification, but the guy basically said that carrie mulligan was not attractive enough to be in this role which firstly for a film about the subject matter that this film is about is pretty tone deaf and a failure to read the room. But also, have you seen Carrie Mulligan? But it was based. But the comparison he had was that you know Margot Robbie is producing this film. She's five years younger than Carrie Mulligan. Maybe she should have done it. Which you know it's incredibly dense. And Carrie Mulligan spoke out about the review and Variety have <laughs> actually issued an apology in the review itself, saying that the review was like you know it was insensitive and the guy was in my opinion rightly criticized by everyone involved but yeah it's all messed up well also the point is not everybody looks like margot robbie mm -hmm. and this happens to everybody yeah to normal women everywhere carrie mulligan is beautiful mm -hmm. she's so beautiful but she's not like she she still looks like a normal person yeah do you know what i mean like somebody you would see walking down the street mm -hmm. and that's the point of this film yeah it could happen to anybody mm. it's literally the point yeah i i also think that you know margot robbie's like she's an incredibly talented performer i do think however carrie mulligan edges her out in terms of being able to you know depict somebody who is carrying a lot of like burden of like weight and emotion on her shoulders the way that she just carries herself in this film and is able to switch from you know prey to predator on a dime i'm sure you know margot robbie is incredibly talented we've seen her in i Tanya and other films like this. she's great but i think there is something very special and unique that carrie brings to this role and even if she didn't considering the subject matter of the film it's a bit of a dick move to have that sentiment well, yeah, why? It's just another way. Society, women have always got to be this perfect, beautiful person. Like, oh, mm. God, I, it's so frustrating. Yeah, and like, and the guy he spoke out... She's not even... Like, she is beautiful. Yeah. He said that the, the pickup bait gear was like bad drag. Even her long blonde hair seems like a put-on. Like, these are just, like, shallow criticisms, in my opinion. And I think a guy writing for Variety should be better than that. So, the, like, the guy's obviously, you know... I'm, I'm not saying that he's a guy who would catcall people on the street. By the, on the contrary, he's, he says he's like a 60-year-old gay guy. You don't use that as a shield. Just because you are part of one marginalised group does not mean that you are automatically perfect and free from criticism when you 
when you talk like this, basically. I think he used he used that as a bit of a shield, in a non just in a non justifiable way. It's a shallow criticism on a film with a lot more on its mind. Like I said, I, I really liked the cast as well. Bo Burnham is a lot of fun. There's a great scene when him and Carrie Mulligan are dancing in a pharmacy to a Paris Hilton song. Which <laughs> yeah. Is, which is kind of... The stars are blind. <laughs> yeah, that was fun and un- unexpected. Laverne Cox is, like, great. I've not seen her for a few years. and it's. I think great. the last thing I saw her in was that awful Rocky Horror. That was, yeah, a few <laughs> years ago where she was Frankenfurter. Yeah. Yeah, like that was, was not a good remake. Like she was she was good in it, but it was a yeah, that was That a, was a bad remake. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um like I said Alfred Molina's great. It's just fun to see him turn up in anything. Um and and yeah, it's a really strong, really well-assembled cast and it's spearheaded by this incredible performance by Carrie Mulligan. Like it's her second Oscar nomination and she's it's absolutely deserving. It's a brilliant performance. So yes, before we start delving more into spoiler talk, let's just give general summations on the film before we dive into everything that happens in the second half of it. Because this is quite a recent release, do you recommend people watch Promising Young Woman? Yeah. Uh, It's a very powerful film. Mm. Um, Especially in the current climate at the moment, with uh, women feeling very, very unsafe and unprotected. Yeah. And the craziness that is happening in the UK at the moment in regards to the health and safety of women. It's always been a problem. Yeah. But it seems exasperated recently. Yeah. It's a great film to watch and hopefully it'll just open some people's minds. Yeah. And they can be more wary of how things affect you and everything like that. But it it is a tough subject matter and I would go into it when you're feeling not so delicate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's not, it's not compromising. It, it asks hard questions and it presents them in really interesting ways. When we watched the film, we were kind of like stunned into silence for like the credits of it. It's a really, yeah, it, it, I want to, I want to say it's a really audacious film, but that's only because it is presenting viewpoints and real world things in something that we don't often see in media because so often women's voices are not prioritized in in the medium i this is the first time ever that we've got two best directors who are women in the in the academy awards emerald fennell despite clearly being an incredibly talented person had to act and act in films for like 10 years before she was allowed near the camera you see this all the time like billy piper has got a film coming out this year but like in order to become a director it seems like women have to act for so long karen gillen as well greta gerwig like you know maybe if you just gave these women the camera and the script you know, when they're ready to tell these stories, it, it's, it, I think it's a bit gatekeeper-y. You know, you need to be beautiful and act in front of the camera for 10 years before you're allowed to tell your own stories. I think it's a bit shit. But yeah, Promising Young Woman is an incredible film. I thought it's one of the best films I've seen in quite a while. Probably the best film I've seen in a year uh, since 1917 from like early, early 2020. So yeah, that's Promising Young Woman. Let's start delving into some of the spoilers. So 
as we alluded to earlier on, what happens in the second act of the film is that Cassie starts meeting people who she holds some sort of responsibility for what happened to Nina. She meets a friend played by Alison Brie or someone who she's not seen for a while who's recently got married, who's had twins, who didn't believe what happened to Nina and basically victim blamed her saying, you know, if you're going to be drunk, don't, take, don't, don't be surprised if some guys take advantage of you and gets her drunk at a hotel bar and makes her think that something has happened to her while she's been passed out in the hotel room. And it's left very ambiguous for quite a while in the film as to whether or not she did pay somebody to have that happen to her. The, the film leaves that up in the air for an almost uncomfortable amount of time. She also targets the dean of the medical school that they went to, played by Connie Britton, and she's the person who she's the person who kind of dismissed the complaints who said oh we, we couldn't ruin the we couldn't ruin this man's career because of what happened because he was a very promising student it's absolutely no accident that the film's title promising young woman has several allusions to the Brock Turner case for those of you who don't know this was a university student who was caught sexually assaulting a drunk woman behind a dumpster by fellow students like he was caught in the act by fellow students and his lawyers and his family basically went to bat for him and said like don't ruin his life because of one like th 20 minutes of action i think was the quote from his dad oh, he's such a promising young man he's such a promising athlete don't ruin his life because of what happened what cassie does is that kidnaps her daughter well, <laughs> we say kidnapped. It looks it, like she's kind kidnapped of, her. It kind of kidnapped her, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it looks as though she's kidnapped her. Yeah, because she goes to the front of her school and says, hey, I'm a makeup artist and I need to find this location. She leans into the car, the daughter leans into the car and sees, oh, you're working with this band who I really love. I love them. I'll, let, I'll come into the car and give you directions. And it looks like she might have kidnapped this 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 young girl and maybe put her in a situation that Nina was in and whether or not the Dean would feel emotional and passionate about defending this woman if it was somebody who she knew, if it was a, a family member. And it's whether or not Cassie is justified in doing these things or putting these other women through their own like mental torment and hell is something the film doesn't actually take a side it doesn't explicitly say yes cassie was right to have done this or she was wrong to have done this it lets the audience do that but i completely understand why she wants this sort of retribution because the system hasn't given her any the system didn't give nina any sort of justice what does justice mean when there is no closure yeah and it especially hurts when this kind of thing comes from other women yeah because we usually see it as we should be protecting each other and helping each other this can happen to any woman um so it especially hurts when it's another woman who says um who victim blames and who doesn't take this kind of thing seriously yeah it's it's kind of women who uphold these power structures because first it, it is specifically gendered but it is also about power structures it is about uh, it is about the at one point the dean says we get several complaints like this a week we can't like look into all of them and it's like why is 
why is this system allowing multiple complaints like this a week to happen to students? It's, yeah, the film, yeah, it was kind of a gut punch moment because the film doesn't linger on that moment. She She just drops it into the conversation, which was kind of revealing in and of itself. So you don't remember the accusations made against Al Monroe? I don't. He took a girl, Nina Fisher, the one you don't remember, back to his room where he had sex with her repeatedly and in front of his friends while she was too drunk to have any idea what was going on. She was covered in bruises the next day. Handprints, I guess you could say. Was it reported? Yes. Do you know who Nina spoke to? You. But you can't remember, so. You felt there wasn't sufficient evidence. You said it was too much of a he said, she said situation. Well, you know, we get accusations like this all the time. One or two a week. I'm sorry I don't remember your friend Nina, but I can assure you at that time that I looked into it Um, It is quickly revealed in that scenario, though that the daughter is safe and fine. She's yeah. just sat in a diner waiting for this band to turn up. Yeah, But yeah. it does make the Dean think and question everything. Yeah, especially when the Dean tries to ring her daughter and the phone vibrates in Cassie's handbag. Yeah. That's... She planned that. She knew it. She's had a long time to think about this stuff. She, yeah, she, she's planned this very thoroughly. And one of the people who she tries to get vengeance on is the person who defended Nina's rapist at trial, uh, a lawyer called um, Jordan, played by Alfred Molina. And he answers the door and says, I don't practice law anymore, but I've known that this day was coming. And he begs for forgiveness. Like, he... Because what he says what he would do and his team of lawyers would do is go on social media and dig up any dirt on the women who who were victims. Just one drunk photo from a Facebook feed and that can sway a jury. And he's sobbing in Cassie's lap and saying he can't sleep. And I don't know if this is an accurate representation of lawyers who defend people like Brock Turner. But it's, you know, I think, firstly, it helps the boring film stuff it helps with the structure because if it's just revenge 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 it might get a bit repetitive but instead it's like revenge revenge absolution and cassie i don't know if she means it but she tells him that she forgives him and she and she and she cries as he finally tries to go to sleep for the first time in several weeks it's it's an interesting scene yeah it was nice that somebody felt bad about it. I mean, he is doing his job. It is his job to defend these people, but he's realized realized that his moral compass has been skewed. Yeah. And he can't sleep, and you know it's really affected him, and he is suffering, and he's expecting everything bad to happen to him because of what he's done, and he's given up law because of it. He's given up his career because of it all. Yeah. Um, and he sort of had a breakdown because of everything that he'd done. It turns out. Yeah, like I think I think men who are accused of these things, who or who are found guilty of these, they you know they deserve a lawyer. They deserve a defence, as any criminal does. As anyone who's committed a crime, they do deserve, you know, they do deserve a chance to. If, a fair trial. Yeah, they they deserve a fair trial, as anyone does. 
just like, you know, a victim deserves a fair trial as well. But what we find in crimes like this is that because of the culture that we live in, it is so easy for these, uh, more than, more often than not men, to get away with these with, with this abuse. Yeah, it was an interesting direction for the film to take. And we meet um, we meet Alison Brie again because um, she's trying to get in touch with Cassie and say, you know, did this happen? And she says, like, I've, I've found, I found this video on one of my old phones. It was a video of, um, of Nina's rape, basically, at a party. And in the video, as a bystander, he didn't partake, but he watched it happen, was Ryan. I told you he was going to be in the video. Yeah, well, you've got a sixth sense for nice guys, apparently. <laughs> Quote-unquote nice guys. So, yeah, and this was, you know, this... I noticed there was still half an hour of the film left. It was like some this this isn't over yet because Cassie starts to become more like her old self. Her parents notice that she's got yeah she's having a nice time. Ryan came in, swept her off her feet. He's mm-hmm. getting her back to normal. And for all intents and purposes, for what it's worth, um, he seems like a nice guy now. You know, someone who yeah. is interested in her, who lets the relationship develop at the uh, pace that Cassie is comfortable with. But he's got he, this... He mas- definitely seems like a grown-up and, like, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's someone who does have this um, skeleton in the closet that he's not atoned for. He didn't partake in the act, but it's something that he was there and cheering on when it happened, which ultimately yeah. led to Nina's death. And Cassie confronts him and says, look, I know that this guy who did it has got a bachelor party, who's got a stag night, basically... I want to know where it is because he's. I think he's been invited. I don't know if he's been invited to. Either way, he knows where it is. He's going to the wedding, isn't he? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he's going to the wedding. So he maybe as an invite to the bachelor night. And what Cassie does is that she plans to dress up in essentially a nurse stripper outfit, uh, which is a very um, you know, you know, it's a very symbolic thing. She dropped out of medical school. She's thinking of getting back into it. She tricks Al, who is the who's the guy who did it, Alexander, tricks him into going upstairs after spiking a bottle of vodka that she brought, which knocks out all of the guys downstairs, and plans to tie him to the bed railings with handcuffs and carve Nina's name into his stomach with a knife. Because the idea is that whenever anybody thinks of that, no, that, that, he's the one who's carried on, he's the one who keeps on who's had the success and and the life that Nina didn't get and now his name is forever associated Nina's name is forever associated with him but it's not the other way around so she decides to carve her name into into the into the perpetrator I mean I was kind of cheering around for this bit not gonna lie I was yeah. like oh yeah it reminds me of the girl with the dragon tattoo when she carves her name into her abuser mm. but it, then it does cross the threshold i mean you you know yeah but it, it's and then it this whole scene turns everything you think is going to happen on its head yeah so what I, yeah i don't even know where to begin with this there's the great line in the trailer from this scene where our says like it's a guy's worst nightmare to be accused of things like this to which cassie responds do you want to know what a woman's worst nightmare is like the, the two fears aren't in the same ballpark, and it it distills the conversation to its barest elements in that moment. But in this scene, Al 
handcuffed to the bed as Cassie is giving her speak her, her TED talk at the foot of the bed basically is refusing to take responsibility for what happened like some some sentences he just denies it happened altogether some sentences he says you know I was just a kid back then he doesn't apologize or take responsibility for it and as Cassie tries to straddle on top of him to take his shirt off and carve the name he breaks free of the handcuffs and a struggle ensues on the bed and he puts a pillow over her face pins her down but pins her face down with his knee and suffocates her with the pillow although like he would rather kill this woman then accept any sort of responsibility for what he's done. His need to make himself feel absolved of guilt for what he did when he was younger is more powerful than this woman's well-being. And he and he keeps her pin. It's a long shot. It's like a minute is, long shot. It's very distressing yeah. to see it, it. This I think had us in silence, didn't it? Um, I definitely started crying at this point and I was just like in my mind begging him to stop just stop it just stop just stop just stop mm-hmm. you're gonna kill her you're gonna kill her stop it like and I think this is the moment when I realized it has to end like this yeah yeah but for, for retribution and justice to happen properly yeah this yeah. this has to happen and she sort of knows that she's got into that knowing that this kind of has to happen yeah it's it's the idea that you know maybe no, no maybe no one would have cared about what happened to Nina unless she died people don't maybe people don't take women's concerns or their fears or their grief seriously until it's too late it should we should take it seriously and address it and acknowledge it at the very least before it's too late to do anything about it and the the way it's staged like it's not just the like minute long shot of just her pinned down to the bed by his knee and he's a big guy as well Carrie Mulligan's not a big woman this jock guy has just got her pinned down and he's saying like why like why did you make me do this you know look what you made me do trying to pin the guilt make it her fault she's the one to blame and we don't at any moment he could have stopped yeah he could have stopped and he chose not to yeah and that is the same with his first crime yeah and i I, i'm not saying that to tell this type of story you need to be a woman i'm not saying a, a man couldn't have directed this but i think it's... i don't think it would have had the emotional investment the same yeah because I... this is coming from a female perspective yeah. you this is what we fear yeah and i think there's a sensitivity to how it's done as well because we don't see cassie's face after it's been smothered by the pillow Thank- she's thankfully yeah <laughs> we, we don't see the body well we see the body but we don't see the face we don't see the light leave her eyes she's kind of given the dignity of only being known in life if that makes sense whereas i I don't know if um a male director would have taken that route i'm not saying there's a right or wrong way to do it but i think there is a sensitivity to this the like the dignity of the character that might not have been there with another perspective 
if that makes sense. It's a really shocking scene, but going back to the point, she knows it has to end this way for any sort of justice to happen because yeah. this is the one crime that people will take seriously. Yeah. And she... Because it's... Sorry. It's always too late before police do anything. Something awful has to happen until it's taken seriously. Mm. And she knows this. Yeah. And so she sends letters out to several different people outlining, look, I'm not going to be here Mm -hmm. in a certain amount of days. This is what I need you to do. This Mm -hmm. is the evidence. Yeah. And she, she sends one of these letters to the lawyer and this is his way of repenting for everything mm. that he did yeah yeah he she's she's got the contingency plan if you know if she manages to do what she wants to do to al on that stag night then i'm, I'm guessing she does it and she carries on but if she doesn't if she doesn't return in the event of her disappearance she sends parcels so she's got scheduled text messages to people and we see Ryan again because the, a detective comes into his workplace and says, you know, when was the last time you saw Cassie? Do you know where she's going? And he lies. He says, I don't know where, I don't know where she was going. Because otherwise he'd have to admit about mm-hmm. his part. Yeah, they'll try and stave off justice for as long as possible. And we even see this with our friend who walks upstairs to the bedroom like hung over the night after like oh crazy party last night oh there's a woman in the bed oh, what have you done and i was like she's dead and he says well, you killed the stripper which is also like a bit of a you know a, a bit of a cliche in frat brother comedy films basically like oh you've killed the stripper um and he helps him to dispose of the body and they burn the body they burn the evidence and he and says they... it's not your fault yeah not, like because yeah because al doesn't you know, tell him what he did or what she, what her rationale was behind it or, or anything like that. He's like, no, this is not your fault, mate. You didn't, you know, you've done nothing wrong. We're going to just, we're going to sort this out. So they burn the body. They go along with the wedding, which is the most middle class drum circle wedding outdoors, strangest thing ever. But because Cassie's put these contingencies in place, the police turn up at the event. That's why I think she knew she wasn't going to make it out alive. Yeah. Because if this man could be so violent and film everything and still escape justice, she knows the only way for them to get justice is for her not to come back. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's sort of like she's gone in, she's walked into a death pact with her friend Nina. Yeah. And she even signs the the last scheduled message to Ryan with her and Nina's name. It's a message from from beyond from both of them. And it's 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 not a it's not a happy ending. No, it's it's hard hitting. It is um, extremely emotional, and uh, hopefully, it makes you think a little bit. Um, Yeah. It makes you think, like, how many steps could have 
when when could someone have intervened yeah. in this years long saga of Cassie and Nina to the which at what point could this whole series of events had been stopped yeah it's it's a it's probably the happiest ending you can get with this subject matter which is depressing in and of itself but it is still an ending that remains true to the core of the film and to the characters and to the world it's built Yeah, it's um it's an incredible film. Everybody who made it and like the men that take the act in this, they do an incredible job yeah. of being a normal <laughs> a normal man, shall we say. A normal man, yeah. Um Yeah, it works on so many different levels. I love the cinema And and the thing is the the men are not um they're not they're just average men and yeah. that's what it is. Like you can't tell who's going to do something to you. Like yeah. you know, it the whole nice guy thing, that doesn't mean you're not a predator. Yeah, unless they're in the thirties or forties and wearing a fedora, you know, you you can't tell which ones are the <laughs> are the quote unquote nice guys. You know, and that's that's something in the film. <laughs> For those of you who think I might just have um have a bias or something. Yeah, it's yeah, it 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 uses likable cast members and puts them in very unlikable roles to make a point to 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 be explicit about that how you know it's not all men but you don't know who it's going to be sometimes the nice guys are the ones you might have to be wary about as as difficult as it is for actual nice guys if that makes sense but it's it's not the men who will have to suffer the the consequence for the most part it's not men who will have to suffer the consequences of of that mistaken identity it will be the women. And even like the title Promising Young Woman, we mentioned before it's clearly drawing reference to the Brock Turner case, but it's also that, you know, it's not just the the perpetrators who might have had a promising future, it's the victims as well. And why aren't we prioritizing the victim's identity? Why aren't we prioritizing the victim's name? It's the whole reason Cassie wants to etches into our skin at the end it's the it's, it's the reason she wants to take such such a symbolic gesture but yeah it's a brilliant film uh, i'm not sure what was more horrifying the the ending sequence or the spit and the coffee i think they're both pretty <laughs> i think they're both pretty equal for very separate different reasons i kid obviously but yeah this was a really good film really powerful film has a lot on its mind and it has the there's the talent behind the scenes to actually be able to communicate it in such an effective and interesting way. I love the way it's shot. I love the editing. I love the music. Yeah, yeah. the music's really good. Yeah, really. It's really, really. It's a it's a powerful film. So, folks, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Monster Monday. Go check out Promising Young Woman. Like we like Yaz mentioned earlier. Uh, do it when you're not <laughs> a, not in, in a vulnerable in a, space. Yeah, not in a vulnerable space. <laughs> but yeah, I wish you all the all the success in the world at this year's Academy Awards. Um, 
I don't think it's going to take away all five awards, but I, yeah, it's still an incredible achievement from everyone involved. And I'll try and check out some of the other nominees, including Nomadland. That sounds like a really good film. But yeah, next week we're going to be talking about In Fabric. We'll go back to our regularly scheduled programming. My name is Will. My name is Yaz. And thanks for listening to the Monster Monday podcast. We'll see you next week. Bye. I just, I'm really high, like I'm really fucking high right now.